0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie Deschel from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. And uh, for those of you that are listening online, I'm going to ask you to get your Bibles out. I want you to look in your Bibles. For those of you that are here, get your Bibles. I want you to take notes. Uh, So often, especially in Pentecostal circles, uh, I've noticed that many Pentecostal churches are preaching all kinds of, you know, messages that have very little scriptural or often very little doctrinal foundations in them. Now, I I believe that our persuasion is that if, if you were to study our church, you'll find out that we're quite reformed in our theology, but our expression is more charismatic. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe in exuberant praise, exuberant worship, because we see biblical pattern for it throughout the scriptures. Whatever we do, we try to pattern according to the scriptures. In fact, the Bible is full of patterns and principles. But the Bible also exhorts us that we are to give heed to sound doctrine. And sometimes people don't like to talk about doctrine and they say, oh, doctrine's so boring. No, 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 no. Doctrine simply means teaching. And if you don't have a right foundation, guess what? You can get off base very, very quickly. And I'm shocked at how many so-called Christians in our society are nothing or not near where they should be in their walk with God. Now, they've been a Christian for 30 years, but they're acting like they're still little babies in the Lord. Just tap your neighbor say, I hope he's not talking about you this morning. You see, some of you, if you continue on the milk, will never grow up into Christ. And milk is what speaks only to what you want to hear. Strong meat speaks to what you need to hear. Is anybody listening to me? So the topic of my sermon this morning, the topic of my message, is something that I don't know very many people that really teach this, but I'm going to teach it to you. It's called sanctification. Sanctification, or walking in the Spirit. Okay? And uh, I'd like you to open your Bibles to the first book of Thessalonians, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8 of the fourth chapter. And here the Bible says, finally my brethren, or or finally brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. So the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, you guys, not only did we instruct you, but we told you how to live, and you're living that way. This is amazing. Now we ask you, and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And then skip a verse there. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him, the Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject Pastor Tom, does not reject man, but rejects God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. You know, I think of a story that I remember from Bible school. There's a man, he, uh, and it goes like this. It says a man once brought a tree back to his house and planted it in his backyard, but it was during the end of winter, and nothing marked this tree as being different from any other tree. And uh, when the spring came, all of a sudden, this tree began to have leaves grow. And then these beautiful, tiny pink buds began to appear. And the guy said, oh, how wonderful. He said, man, I have a flower tree. And this tree will give me beauty all summer long. But even before he had time to enjoy the flowers, the wind began to blow. And soon, all the petals were blown into the yard. And He thought, oh, what a mess. And so he spent weeks now sweeping up these ugly petals that had fallen from this tree. Then he thought, what a mess. No sooner did this happen the summer passed, one day the man noticed that the tree was full of these green fruit-sized, the size of like a large nut. And he picked one, he took a bite, and he cried out and said, oh, what a terrible taste. This is such a bad taste. And he threw it on the ground. He said, this tree is worthless. Its flowers are so fragile that when the wind blows, it blows him away, and its fruit is so bitter that it's terrible to even eat. He says, when winter comes, I'm going to chop this tree down. I'm going to get rid of it. Well, the tree took no notice of the man and continued to draw water from the ground and warmth from the sun. And late in the fall, it produced ripe, crisp, red apples. Now, What's the meaning of that story? Well, some of us as Christians, when we see our fellow brethren in their early blossoming stages, think they should be that way forever. Do you remember when you were first born again? I remember some of you, man, you were so sweet and so kind, and you just were amazing. I thought, wow, wow, but then the wind blew. Sometimes we see others and they're in that bitter spirit, that bitterness of their lives and in the winter of their lives. They're in that that, that time where, man, the, the, the fruit in their life is bitter and we wonder if they're even saved. Don't look left or right. Don't turn red. Nobody will know I'm talking about you, okay? Sometimes we think, man, these people will never bear joy, will never see the fruit of joy in their lives. Could it be that some of us forget that good fruit or the best fruit often ripens late? I love the scripture this morning that we're reading because it tells us what God's will is. We don't have to guess what God's will is. You know, God's very clear about his will. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to read between the lines. The scripture comes out boldly and clearly. And in Thessalonians 4 and verse 3, it says... It is God's will that you should be sanctified. What is the will of God? Say it again. What is the will of God? Turn to your neighbor. Say, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. Turn to another neighbor. Tell him, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. Now point at yourself and say, it's God's will that I should be sanctified. So what does it mean to be sanctified? How does sanctification even take place in our lives? How do we experience sanctification? Well, I think the dictionary definition is a good place to start. In, it, in the word sanctify is literally to set apart for a special use or purpose, or figuratively to make holy or sacred. And if you take the etymology of that word, it comes from a Latin verb which is sanctifi- sanctificare, which, turns, which which is from two words, sanctus, which means holy, and ficare, to make. In other words, it means to make something holy, to make holy. And, and holy in this sense, some people don't know what it means, but to be set apart. Holy means that you are put aside for God. You're set apart for God. It's, it's, it's prepared for the use of God. I was, uh, as I was studying this, I thought, well, wh- where, would you, where would you look for holiness? Where would you look for the sanctification? And I delved into the Nazarene manual. Now the Nazarenes come from a holiness movement and, and, they, and they believe in something called a second work of grace, the, uh, a work of sanctification. Now, I don't believe in, uh, uh, and we don't teach, a sanctification that happens once. We believe that you are born again. And in that moment that you're born again, your spirit man comes alive. And then sanctification is a process, okay? But it's followed by obedience, this process of obedience. There's something that does happen in water baptism. They believe that in baptism or in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have a once and for all moment where you are sanctified, you are holy. I've watched and I've studied this in the lives of Nazarenes and in the lives of almost every doctrine and every denomination. And I've realized that God does make us holy, but it's not often a one-time event. It's often a multiple event, and, and we are being made holy. It's a process. But with that in mind, I'd still like to look at their uh, doctrine on entire sanctification. And, and so if, you, if, 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 uh, if ever you want to study this, they have a, uh, a manual. It's called The Manual of the Church of the Nazarene. And uh, in in 2005, 2009, they rewrote this. And here's what they said. We believe that entire sanctification is that act of God subsequent to regeneration by which believers are made free from original sin and depravity and are brought into a state of entire devotement to God and the holy obedience of love made perfect. It is wrought by the baptism with the Holy Spirit and comprehends in one experience the cleansing of the heart from sin and the abiding indwelling presence of the holy spirit empowering the believer for life and for service entire sanctification is provided by the blood of jesus is wrought instantaneously they believe by faith preceded by entire consecration and to this work and state of grace the holy spirit bears witness now I believe that we should have that encounter in our lives. I believe that if your life is not moving from sinfulness, if you're still living and walking and knowingly living in sin, you need to be very, very careful with your life because the born-again experience doesn't stop at just an encounter. I was speaking to someone this morning and they were talking to me about a very well-known businessman who darkened the doors of this church for a while and then another church and another church, and he knows everything about Christianity, but his lifestyle is evidently not Christian. We have many that were part of this church and at one time professed Christ, but their way in which they carry on business, the way in which they carry on their lives does not witness to Christ. They have not sanctified their lives. They are not sanctified in their walking with Christ. So what good does it do? This is where I wrestle with my brother. my brother had an experience with Christ as a teenager, knew about Christ, knew about God, could tell you everything about God, but then philosophized. And then became very successful, very wealthy, very, had everything in life, but could not find that deep-seated peace that only comes in a sanctified lifestyle where you live not only in Christ, but for Christ. Are you listening to me? So, we must as Christians wrestle with this and we must come to a place where we understand what it means. They go on to say this, this experience is also known by various terms, re- repeating it, uh, representing it's, it, it itself in different phrases such as Christian perfection, perfect love, heart purity, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the blessing, and Christian holiness. And so those terminologies, sometimes we throw them around like, oh yeah, you know, but the, the truth is, that it's not the expression that I'm worried about, it's the actual outworking in the hearts and the lives of believers. The, their 14th point in their document says this. We believe that there is a marked distinction between a pure heart and a mature character. See, Christ makes you pure when you get born again, but you mature, you must mature in that purity. The former is obtained in an instant, The result of entire sanctification. The latter is a result of growing in grace. And I agree with them here. We believe that the grace of entire sanctification includes the impulse to grow in grace. See, if you don't have the desire to grow in grace, if you don't have that impulse to grow in grace, if you think somehow that, hey, I gave my life to Jesus, now I can live however I want to, I would question your salvation. I would question whether you really are born again. I would really question whether or not that was a decision that you made or was it really a convicting power of God that changed your life and brought you to a point where you changed and repented and became a born again believer. I think as a church and as a movement, we have seen that evangelicalism has brought many people to an altar without a conviction of real sin, and without a real conversion of heart, but they think that they're born again because they walked to an altar, but they didn't give their lives to Christ. What they did was they walked to an altar. They didn't repent. They're looking for fire insurance. Anybody listening to me this morning? And I hope this pierces some of your hearts, because some of you live immoral lives, and you call yourself a Christian, and you shame the Christ in you, and you shame the name of the church, and you shame what Jesus did on the cross by your lifestyle, and you need to repent. You should never let me go on vacation. Goes on to say this, this impulse, or this uh, impulse to grow in grace, must be consciously nurtured and careful attention given to the requisites and processes of spiritual development and improvement in Christlikeness of character and personality. Without without, Without such purposeful endeavor, one's witness may be impaired and grace itself may be frustrated and may ultimately be lost. You know, when I read the scriptures, I, I see the Bible says that we can frustrate the grace of God. We can fail of the grace of God. And that we can fall from the grace of God. That doesn't sound like eternal security to me. Even in my own life, I... Echo the words of the Apostle Paul when he says, he says, I have run my race. He says, but I hope that at the end I don't find myself to be a castaway. See, I think we can run our life in such a way that we, and, and look, we, we're all gonna make mistakes. As a pastor, I, I've made more than my fair share. I've probably hurt people by some of the decisions I made. But I can honestly say this, I'd never made a decision for selfish gain, I've never made a decision for me. I've always tried at the very best of my ability to do what I felt God was doing in that moment, even with my weakness and my understanding. I often joke, I say this, I say uh, that uh, when we first started the church, we would sell our cassette tapes, back then they were cassette tapes, for about $5 each. Today I'm buying those all back at $20. Just to get that doctrine off the air, you know, because what I knew then and what I know now are two different things. I think I've matured a little bit. I think I've grown a little bit. Don't bring any of those tapes. I won't buy them. I'm just just kidding. <laughs> the first thing that we have to understand about sanctification is that it is for believers. It is not salvation. Salvation. It's subsequent to salvation. It's after we are saved. It's after we've been born again. Just like the natural, like the Nazarene manual says about regeneration. In this passage of scripture in Thessalonians, Paul's writing to a people who were living a life that was pleasing to God. But he urges them to do so more and more. In fact, he says it this way. In 1 Thessalonians 4.1, he says, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. Now we are asking you and we urge you in the Lord to do this more and more. And as a church, I'm asking you to do that. I'm saying, hey, it's time for us in this new season, in this season of 2022, in the time when we should be speaking, in the time when we should be a witness for Christ, it's now time for us to do this more and more. Sanctification is for the Christian who's not just trying to get by spiritually, get under the wire, but who wants to please God in every way that he can so that he can serve and be there for the Lord. Sanctification is a provision of God's renewing work in salvation joined by our obedience. See, I think that salvation is God for we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It is the free gift of God, lest any man should boast. But then there comes this sanctification where we get involved. Sanctification is God's grace and God's working in our lives, but our obedience and our willingness to to die to the flesh and to obey him. Sanctification is accomplished by the renewing of the mind so that we can change the way we live, so that we don't pursue sin, but we pursue righteousness. Now, we don't find the word sanctification in many of Paul's letters. Uh, especially his letter to the Galatians. But when I read the letter of the Galatians, I I, I see sanctification described in that fifth chapter as an outworking of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. And I'm just gonna read uh, 10 short verses for you in Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. It says, by the Apostle Paul, he says this. He says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will never fulfill the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh wants is opposed to the spirit. And what the spirit wants is opposed to the flesh. They are opposed to each other. And so you do not do what you want to do. But you are being led by the spirit. But if you are being led by the spirit. You are not under the law. Now the actions of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Promiscuity. Idolatry. Ancestral worship, witchcraft, hatred, rivalry, jealousy, outbursts of anger, quarrels, conflicts, factions, envy, murder, drunkenness, wild partying, and things like that. I'm telling you now, As I have told you in the past, that people who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Now those who belong to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. Let me read that again. Now, those who belong to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. Now, since we live by the Spirit, by the Spirit, let us also be guided. Let's stop being arrogant, provoking one another, and envying one another. That's the best definition of sanctification I can find in the Bible. You see, one of the Holy Spirit's functions in the believer's life is to cultivate Christian character. The Bible says when the Holy Spirit shows up, as he did in our worship this morning, he convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Christian character is something that he wants to develop in us, to transform us. More and more into the likeness of Christ. That's what sanctification is. Let me, look, let me give you five quick points. And we'll close. Here's five things we need to know. And we need to teach about sanctification. So take notes. Number one. Sanctification is the work of God. Sanctification is the work of God. See all of our efforts towards holiness. Are useless. Apart from two things. First of all the work of Christ on the cross. You know, Jesus paid for it all. Thank God for the cross of Calvary. Thank God for what he did on the cross. Hebrews 10.10 says, by God's will we have been sanctified once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, our Messiah. But number two, the work of God's spirit in us activates that work. salvation, we have been saved once and for all, but it's not an immediate act in our lives. We are saved, are being saved, and will be saved. That word sozo is in the continuous present tense. It doesn't just happen once and now you're saved and you can go live like the devil the rest of your life. No, you are being saved. It's a process. It started at a moment in time and it'll continue that sanctification process in your life. The work of God's Spirit working in us is important. Paul highlighted it in Galatians when he says, and he keeps repeating this phrase, by the Spirit, by the Spirit. Three times in Galatians, he said, live by the Spirit, be moved by the Spirit, because the Spirit of God is working sanctification in you. He uses the phrase, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, in the book of Romans, the 15th chapter, in verse 16, you may want to write that down. Romans fifteen sixteen that we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Romans eight thirteen he said, by the Spirit, we are able to put to death the deeds of the flesh or the deeds of the body. See, you cannot conquer your fleshly desires except by yielding to the Spirit, the Spirit that sanctifies you, and by obeying Him. Paul cried out, he says, there's a war going on in my members. Some of you know that war, but you consistently yield to your flesh. It's time not to play with that anymore. It's time to yield to the Spirit. God won't always strive with man. Number two, sanctification involves our cooperation. We're commanded in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. That's your job. You're to walk by the Spirit. God doesn't make you walk by the Spirit. You walk. Galatians 5.25 says, live by the Spirit. Then it goes on to say, keep in step with the Spirit. Now, whereas justification, justification, just as if I'd never sinned, is entirely God's work, sanctification Involves the cooperation of you and I with God. Christ has delivered us from sin's reign. But the responsibility for resisting sin or sins is ours. God has given us his spirit. But the responsibility for walking in the spirit is ours. Hebrews 12 and verse 14 says. Pursue peace with everyone as well as holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. (laughs) We, We love to say, well, we must pursue peace. Yes, and that's a world doctrine right now. We just want peace at all costs. But he doesn't say just peace. He says pursue peace and pursue holiness. Holiness. Holiness is sanctification, without which no one will see God. Tap your neighbor say, you know, I know he's talking... To both of us today. That's us. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. I love this. It says, since we have these promises, dear friends, let's cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit by becoming mature in the holy fear of God. We have promises. God gave us these promises, but he puts the responsibility on you and I to cleanse ourselves. He'll help you. Number three, sanctification is an ongoing process. Now, justification is once and for all. Sanctification is continuous, whereby we grow. We grow in holiness. The Greek verb translated, walk by the Spirit, in verse 16, translates to the Greek verb, peripetreo, which literally means to go about or to walk about. In fact, it's the same word that Jesus used to the paralytic, get up off of your mat and walk. See, there was a responsibility for Jesus to heal, but there was also a responsibility for the paralytic to walk. It's one thing for Jesus to forgive of sin, to pay for the price of sin, to justify you, but it's another thing for you to walk in that justification, to walk in that holiness and to walk in that purity. Does that make sense? See, the word walk can also be used to mean a certain walk of life or on, uh, or conduct. Paul used a tense of the verb that reflects continuous, ongoing activity. We don't have that tense in English, but it's the perfect present tense. It, can, it means that it's a continual work in your life. The work reminds us, the word walk reminds us that sanctification doesn't roll effort, effortlessly out of our lives. It's not like, a, a, like you sit in a Tesla and it drives you somewhere. No, you must make the effort to get up, put one step in front of the other. It's like a lot of you have already promised yourself that you're going to be in the gym every day this year and have already broken that promise because you're not walking in your commitment. Now you can tap somebody and (laughs) say, he is talking about me right there, okay? That is me, okay? There's an arduous path, a steady progress and progressing toward a goal, but we don't ever really arrive until we see him as he is, but we must continue down that path. Some of you have gotten into this lazy grace where you think, well, you know, God... Just take me the way I am and I just, that's who I am. That's how I am. No, that's not how it is. Number four, the goal and the measure of of sanctification is Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness. In our men's movement, we say to be a man, to be a male is a matter of choice, to be a man is a matter of, to be a male is a matter of birth, to be a man is a matter of choice. And that manhood and Christ-likeness are synonymous. Well, Christ-likeness is the goal of a Christian life. Sanctification is leading us to Christ-likeness. God's purpose in our sanctification is to transform us more and more into the likeness of Christ himself. Romans 8 and verse 29, you know this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. He, he predestined you to be conformed, to be transformed, to be changed into the image of his son. That's, that's the purpose of salvation. So I want to encourage you today to, be ref, to refuse to be seduced into defining spiritual maturity in terms of religious activity. I call it sanctification by checklist. You know, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. Boy, I'll tell you what, we knew how to do all the right stuff had to be in church on Sunday had to have confession in the in the confessional on a Friday night even though we blew it on Saturday and probably committed a mortal sin and you know but we'd still take communion and You know, we figured, hey, I'll I'll confess it next week and, you know, light a votive candle. We had all kinds of things. In in the Protestant churches, I mean, you have Sunday school attendance. You have Bible. Did you bring your Bible? I mean, you get a tick mark for that. Did you study your Bible lesson? Have you done your daily reading? Are you giving? Are you worship? Are you in regular worship attendance? If these things are just, how many visits did you make? How many people have you visited? Uh, What works have you done? If, If these are just ticks in your religious exercises... I'm going to tell you something. You've missed it. That's not what sanctification is. We can't just tick off the list and be good for another week. No, 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 no. This is a lifestyle. Christ-like character is the measure of our growth in sanctification. And finally, number five. The primary instrument of sanctification is the Word of God. Jesus' prayer for his disciples... We hear it echoed in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them by the truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. What this teaches us is that God sanctifies us by his word. You know, you cannot become sanctified if you have no word content. Many Christians have such little word content. They're giving eight to 10 hours a day to social media content. But boy, their word content is a drip in the ocean. You will not sanctify your life without a lot of word going into your spirit. Paul understood this. He understood that the word of God trains us in righteousness. And he says it does so to make us complete. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, you all know the scripture. He says all scripture is God breathed. And it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete. That means sanctified. Thoroughly equipped for every good action. So we need to learn how to drink deeply from the Scriptures. Take time to fill ourselves. Because through the Scriptures, through the Bible, God will transform us more and more into the likeness. Of Christ. Listen to this. Psalm 119, 11, I have stored what you have said in my heart, so I won't sin against you. Boy, you want to get rid of sin? Start storing the Word of God up in your heart. Acts 20, verse 32. I am now entrusting you to God and to the message of His grace, which is able to build you up and secure you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. What is it? I'm entrusting you to the message, to the Word of God that will secure you and sanctify you. Second, 1 Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn babies, thirst for pure milk of the Word so that you may grow in your salvation. Remember 1 Thessalonians 4.3? What did it say? This is God's will, your sanctification. Come on, turn to your neighbor say, it's God's will that you be sanctified. Turn to somebody else. Tell them it's God's will that you be sanctified. You know, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis is one of our great uh, authors and, and teachers. And he, he wrote something one time. He said, When I was a child, I often had a toothache. And I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something that would deaden the pain for that night and let me go to sleep. But I did not go to my mother. At least not until the, t- the pain became very bad. And the reason I did not go was this. I did not doubt that she would give me the aspirin, but I knew she would also do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more that I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from my pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. I knew they would start fiddling around with all sorts of other teeth, which had not yet begun to ache. Our Lord is like the dentists. Dozens of people go to him to be cured of some particular sin. Well, he will cure it all right, but he will not stop there. That may be all you ask. But if you once call him in, he will give you the full treatment. See, it's God's will that we're sanctified. First of all, we have to be saved. Secondly, we must be willing to surrender our will completely and entirely wholly to God. Our spirit needs to be As Jesus was in the garden when he prayed, not my will be done, but your will be done. al Moody said it this way. He says, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition, and the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled. This word sanctification is kind of mysterious to many people. We know it is part the work of God, what He's doing in our lives, that involves being cleansed from sin. Bonnie and I were talking about cast iron skillets the other day and a lot of modern day skillets are covered with Teflon so that they don't stick. But my experience with Teflon is that I'm forever using some metal scraper or something and tearing it and it's, and it's, it's actually terrible stuff. And by, that, by, by, by the way, it also makes you sick. So we, we've gone back to cast iron and due to our understanding of health, among other things, my wife, my wife began cooking with this cast iron skillet. And we had this old skillet that was blackened from use and it was well seasoned. In fact, it was nearly impossible for food to stick on it. And we'd been instructed by people and by our grandparents who had uh, used iron skillets as they grew up and they told us how to use the iron skillet. We didn't know that there was a proper way. He says, but a properly broken iron skillet has to continually be used for its next use. It's the occasion of its next use. As soon as the meal is completed, the pan, once it's cooled off, must be washed thoroughly. Then it is placed back in the oven to be dried and heated with heat. Then it is wiped down with cooking oil, the whole inside and out, to prevent any form of rust, and it's prepared for the next use. To me, that's a picture of sanctification. First, God must cleanse us from sin. Then he puts us into the crucible, the oven of experience. And finally, he anoints us with his Holy Spirit. And we're finally prepared to serve him fully. You see, sanctification is more than being cleansed. It's being cleansed and prepared for God's service. The process is that God first breaks our will then purifies and cleanses us and then he's able to fill us with himself. Until our wills are broken he cannot be used as he desires. He cannot produce the fruit of the spirit in our lives as he wants to. This may explain why some Christians always seem to produce the wrong fruit in their lives. God is still not completely in control. Oh, maybe occasionally. Maybe even most of the time. But we're not what God wants us to be until we are entirely surrendered to him. You and I will not live in complete victory until we humble ourselves. Body, soul, and spirit. Until we surrender completely to God. By the way, this doesn't mean that we're perfect. Nobody's perfect except God. But it's the start. But now instead of your will constantly competing against God's will, the battle's over. You surrendered. The result, truly, I no longer want to live for myself, but for you in everything. It begins a process of yielding constantly to the will of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, you may make mistakes. You may do it wrong occasionally. You may say it wrong and say things wrong at times. But your heart is always for good. Your heart's intent is always to do it right. It's holy. It's pure. It's set apart. And when you do do wrong, you're quick to repent quick to say, I was wrong. Allow him to help you crush your will today. See, we crucify the old man of sin. Let him purify you. Let him cleanse you. And as he does, a new you will emerge. A new you that is fully given to God a new you that desires God's will in every area of your life in fact obedience is no longer a promise it's a joy producing the fruit of the spirit isn't difficult it's a natural result of the spirit being in control your life will take on a new love a new joy a new peace that you never imagined here's my question today for those of you listening online listen carefully Ask yourself, for those of you here, have you surrendered your will completely? Now, right now, would be a good time to do that. For those of you online, I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for each and every person listening to this message. Sanctify them wholly. Sanctify them. Father, do a work in their hearts, in their living room, wherever they're watching. Touch hearts right now. Touch minds. Cause a deep sense of repentance, a deep sense of urgency, a deep sense of care, and a deep sense of your presence to emanate in the hearts of these men and women. A decision made that they will not turn away from. A choice to consecrate and to sanctify their lives. To walk in the Spirit. Father, we commit every listener to you now. In Jesus' name. If you're listening, there's a phone number on the screen. You may need help. You may need someone to pray with you. You may need some direction. You may be gripped in a sin that you don't think you can get free from. You may be gripped in a situation that you think God could never forgive you of. I tell you, there's nothing that God can't not help you with. Call that number. There's somebody on the line right now They may not be able to help you. They may. They're good counselors, but they may be able to direct you to a pastor. They may be able to set you up to speak to a professional counselor or to get you into a cell group or a prayer group or to get you back to church on time. Whatever it is. Don't hesitate. Make that call. Make it now. Take that number down. Make that call during the week. There'll be somebody there to talk to you and get back in church next Sunday. We love you. God bless you. For those of you that are here, I don't know how to move people. In fact, I don't think it's my responsibility to move you. I think it's God's responsibility to move your hearts. My responsibility is to preach the good news. It's his responsibility to convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. But I know this, that many people have become so proud and so arrogant that they think they know it all. Many of you in this church are so well taught, but your hearts have grown cold. You no longer respond to the Word of God. You know, Really, you don't really read the Bible, some of you. Not some of you do. Many of you are really on fire. But we have a mixture here. We have some that have come from other churches that have never really been trained in the Bible. They've been trained in signs and miracles and wonders and oils and you know divinations and all kinds of stuff. But they don't know the power of God Almighty that comes through the study of the Word of God and the transformation of the heart and the renewing of the mind. That is an arduous journey. It's something that requires the help of God every single day. It's a warfare, Paul calls it. A warfare in the spirit. Today I want to encourage you, if you find yourself being convicted by this message, don't sit in your seat. We have pastors. We have leaders. There's an altar here. Often we can make a decision at an altar. Getting out of our place of comfort and say, God, I'm going to make a confession. I'm going to I want, to, I want to do business with you. We, we find ourselves at an altar, and, and, and God does something. God sanctifies us. God begins that work in a way that we've never had before. Some of you have been messing about. Same testimony you've had for 30 years. Back then, what happened then? But nothing's changed today. There's no power in your life today, there's no real manifest glory. In fact, you're so compromised that you, you, you hate yourself, you hate the pretense. This is the year to stop. This is the season to stop. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might lift you up. He's ever ready to save. He's ever ready to help you. We have pastors here if you need to talk to someone to have someone pray with you. We have an altar if you need to just, but don't, whatever you do, don't leave by just standing there because that's arrogance. If God's speaking to you, humble yourself. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. And as we sing this last worship song, as we worship the Lord, let Him minister to your heart. Come forward. Get out of your seat. Find yourself at an altar. Find yourself, and let's get serious with God in 2022. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.